Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. In this episode, moderator Alicia Malone sits down with writer-director Darren Aronofsky and producers Scott Franklin and Ari Handel to discuss their new film, Mother, during its opening weekend at the Landmark in Los Angeles. Hello, I'm Alicia Malone from Fandango Filmstruck. Um, I'm sure you're just processing that crazy roller coaster ride that you just went on. You know, I haven't stopped talking about this film since I've seen it. And last night, did a bunch of Q and A's, and I left the theater at 1:30 a.m. and people were still milling about and just chatting about what it all means. And that's so exciting to someone who loves movies. So let's kick off the conversation. We have some incredible people with us today. Please welcome the producers of the film, Ari Handel, Scott Franklin, and director Darren Aronofsky. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you. It's been so much fun to chat about this film. You guys look like you've been through hell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you've spoken about the writing process being really fast and furious, uh, but do you approach a film like this in the same way that you do any other? Do you look at like structure and beats and hero's journey and that kind of thing? Well, that's a good question. Did we ever do a hero's journey? We did do a hero's journey, yeah. But not till after. You Not until afterwards, not yeah. That's a um, yeah, it was a very different process. Normally, like most of the films, we spent many, many, many years on uh, working on the scripts and developing them and sculpting them. And I kind of was excited about trying to do a different approach to this one. The idea came to me over a couple of weeks, and I had this long weekend, and I sort of pumped out this one emotion through my poor computer, which will never be the same. And uh, then I shared it with these guys, and they read it, and they were like, well, there's something interesting here. And I kind of liked the idea of just running with it instead of spending all those years of working on something. And so I think it had a different energy and uh, kind of more of a dream nightmare type of logic to it. And um, I don't know. We were just trying to do something different for audiences. Yeah, and that process was fast, but then you got to have three months of rehearsals. So what did you discover during that process? <coughs> we spent a lot of time uh, working on, you know, because it was very clear what the um, allegorical, metaphorical kind of characters were, and then we tried to make them more and more human. And I think that's when Javier and Jen uh, really shone and brought up, the, you know, a lot of conversation and then the last two weeks of the three months, we got on our feet, and Scott um, brought down the camera team, and we actually shot the entire movie once in a taped-out version of the house, kind of like Dogville. And, um, and then we cut it together, and we had kind of this two-hour-long version of it, but it was without hair, makeup, or walls. <laughs> and, so, and then I made the whole crew watch it, and everyone was sort of kind of looking like how you're looking right now. Well, it wasn't much of a difference. But they were all even more confused because they had read the script and stuff. So, I mean, for me, the the excitement is that um, it was the idea was to take the audience, see if audiences would be willing to go into a dream state or or a nightmare, and um, and then afterwards, you know, try to analyze it and think about it. And that's hopefully I, I I'm I can bet my hat. On uh, that, you guys will be talking about it and debating it for a little bit to come. So oh, that, that's yeah. cool. 
you, you've done touches of Fever Dream and Nightmares in your other projects, but you've never sustained that Fever Dream pace for, for quite a long time. It's almost 30 minutes. Yeah. What's the secret in keeping that up but not pushing the audience completely over the edge? Well, there are people that are over the edge. <laughs> so, and we always knew we'd lose some. It's always, you know, that, that line of, like, what people can handle is always um, a... It's always a question of what I think is, uh, I just go with what I think is kind of cool and what I could handle. And uh, and I don't know, I still like, as I watch that 25 minute sequence at the end, the fever dream we call it, you know, I just, I still get a grin on my face, you know, because it's just, it's wicked. Yeah, I think I was smiling, being like, how audacious yeah. is this sequence? It's so incredible. And I think the secret a lot comes to Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, she takes the audience on this journey. And obviously, she's someone who we know is such a brilliant actress. And we've seen her push herself, you know, physically and emotionally before. But can you talk about how the more, the more subtle things she did when it came to the close-up acting? I've answered a lot. Ari, you want to handle this one? Yeah, you can. Of Jen's performance? Sure. Yeah, yeah. and the close-up acting. Um, well, so as you know, 66 minutes of that film is a close-up of her face, <laughs> which is amazing. And, and what she does, she's kind of like a tractor beam that like pulls you through the film and lets you know what to feel even when the film goes to places where, how could you, which are so surreal that it, there's no way to really understand it. And she allows you to understand it, and she's really uh, the guide for the audience to get through this crazy film. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's amazing that she's able to pull you through it and you'll always know exactly where she is and where you need to be. Well, we love hearing from you guys. So who's got a question you'd like to ask? Yes, down here. Why do you think? Stop there. Good. Done. Done. Okay. There you go. Gold star, Good. Yes. That's it. Why not? Why Why did you fall off of that idea? I didn't fall off. I just wanted to confirm. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're all there, baby. You got it. I mean, that's a funny thing. It's like people, it's like, you know. Okay, good guy wears this costume, bad guy wears this costume. They fight once, and then, like, at the end of the movie, they fight again. We've all seen that. I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to try and do something different because I feel like we've got a lot of that same stuff out there and it's kind of fun to kind of explore. It's a little weird because you stick Jen Lawrence and Javier Bardem and everyone's like, whoa, what the heck? This is, what? But, um, I mean, that's the fun of it. It's like we got to make something that's very different, but you got it. That's it. So. I love Javier. Yes. Are you trying to teach us a lesson? <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I don't know if I, I I don't know if it was about teaching a lesson. I and I think that's what for me it was a reflection, and it's you know I I'm, I I don't exclude myself from that. Um, but my DP Maddie calls it also a cautionary tale, and the reason I like it as a cautionary tale, I mean you know you could say it was requiem for a dream to teach you a lesson, you know. But it was about like no, it's about like this is what happens when you do drugs, and <laughs> so I guess it is like teach you a lesson. But I mean you know. I mean, the reality is, how do we treat our mother? Meaning, not your mother, not my mother, but all of our mother, the one that has given us all this life. And uh, a big thing that I w really pissed me off is, um, you know, in England, they, I mean, I'm not defending the British, but they call it, earth, you know, they, at least they call it earth. You know, we call it dirt. 
And it's just like this endless attack on her. Um, we feel like we can take everything. There's this idea that we have dominion over her and that we can take everything from her. And it's a rape of her and there's no respect for her. Uh, there's very few people giving back and we're all part of it. And it's like now we're actually seeing her wrath uh, for like we're witnessing it. And a lot of people are still denying that it's happening. So for me that as a parent, you know, that, that, that passion to say something about it was in me. So, you know, I'm not trying to talk down to people. I'm just trying to reflect back of like kind of what's happening. If you pick up any good newspaper uh, and you actually read what's in that newspaper, there is nothing on that screen that's any worse than anything that's actually in any daily newspaper. It's just you're looking at words and not movie stars and, that, and it's not right in your face. But that was about, you know, it's like we get really detached from what's happening. You know, I just went to see that, the Inaruto VR thing, you know, and that's happening uh, not that far from here, you know, that border stuff. And when you really see it and the fact that that shit's going on, it's like, it's unbelievable. Um, so, I don't know. I think that's the important part about my work is that I'm always just trying to put it up there. But uh, I'm sorry if you feel like I was trying to. You know, uh, anyway, <laughs> but it's not a lesson. It's like it's something we we are aware. I mean, it's just you know, uh, you know, today Trump in the Washington Post they said he's going to try and drill in the Arctic. Where I went, I went to this wilderness. It's the last piece of wilderness in the United States. I went with a, a bunch of veteran groups, people who fought for our country, and they all f they're all fucked up from their experiences, and they they go there and they have these incredible experiences because they see what they fought for. You know what they're defending. And it's, wilderness is a hard thing. It, like, people think wilderness, what does that mean? But there's, like, no wilderness left in the United States. It's national parks, but it's not actually wilderness. It's taken care of. This is actual big chunk of northeastern Alaska that's just been left alone. And you could, where they drop you off in the middle of it, and you could basically walk two, three hundred miles in any direction and not see any, you know, light post, road, anything. And that's the only piece of Amer America left like that. Now they're going to start drilling there. So it's like, you know while Harvey and Irma's happening. So it's just, it, it's just, it's Meshugana. Sorry to bring up my Yiddish, but it's fucking Meshugana. We'll go up there, yes. Yes. Uh, just a film question. What's, what is it about the 16 millimeter that keeps you coming back? I like 16 because it's cool and it's, and, it's, and it's different. It's different, you know. Uh, and once again, I think everyone's shooting on these video cameras and you know images look really alike it's know? hard you know it's hard i mean the 16 it's so beautiful and so artistic and yes you can you know um manipulate and work on your video images a lot after you shoot them to try to make them look like 16 and you get there but there's still some texture or some flavor or some feeling um that's just missing that you only get with the with the 16 and it's, it's uh, you know, like what Darren was talking about, you know, happening in the world. It's kind of sad that it's happening with uh, film, too. But, you know, that's uh, that's progress, you know. But uh, there's no labs anymore that really can process it and do a good job with it. And uh, the time that it takes to get back, I mean, you know, video definitely has uh, has made it easier. But, um, you, you know, the work and the pain you put into shooting on, on that format, you know, it, it comes through when you do it. It's beautiful. Dan here. Hi, um, I, um, I saw Pi, but it came out in theaters <coughs> in Detroit, and it was like in this little art house. Cool. And I felt that exhilarated feeling, like I just, same time, same thing, just now. 
Yeah. Well, we're we're getting the pushback now, um, <laughs> but but they let us make it, which is great. You know, they and I think that's the exciting thing. And I, you know, I encourage you guys to. I mean, there's there's I'm sure there's people in here that are just like, you know, they they they're still very angry, which is okay. And you're supposed to be. I mean, I knew we were doing that. And you know, when you throw a punch at the audience, some people are going to be like, yeah, hit me again. And other people are going to be like, um, you know, they'll want to hit back, ow. So, and that's fine. But it, for me, it's just like, it comes from a place uh, of light. I think by looking into the darkness, you reveal the light. And I think, once again, it, it's, uh, you know, the final chapter has not been written. And it's kind of a hard truth to look at. But I, you know, maybe I just spend too much time looking at it. Maybe people don't want to pay for that type of entertainment. But the other thing we were trying to do is make something that doesn't bore you. So, I mean, was anyone bored? <laughs> Feel free. You were bored? You bored? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was bored. Well, go. We have one bored. Should we see up the back somewhere? Someone wants to go? Yes, right up the back there. Yes. Uh, many sociopaths, they have this image of an house <laughs> in which they're storing memories or experiences. Uh, that's was, that was my interpretation of the movie, and now I'm wondering whether you also heard of this theory and actually... Uh, I'm sorry, I missed the beginning. Sociopaths, Mo right? Many sociopaths, what? It's documented that uh, sociopaths, they typically have this inner place where they can go at to store memories or to manipulate their feelings. And uh, that was the interpretation I was getting while I was watching the film. So who, who was the sociopath? <laughs> uh, I have a friend. Oh, no, no, but, but in... in, in <laughs> who are your friends? Go for it. Well, I'm going to just tell you what he said. No, no, answer it. I don't know if I can answer it. Yeah, but try also, it. I think what you said was that many sociopaths, there's a theory that they have an inner house, like where they store memories and some of their bad feelings, and it's a place where they go to process stuff. And when you watch this film, you were wondering if this house is the inner home of a sociopath. Is that what your question is? I mean, it's a, it kind of works for the a allegory. We never really talked about it that way, but it kind of fits into this. Because really there definitely is a sociopath kind of Yeah, he's a, a narcissistic uh, guy who's reliving this uh, pattern over and over again. So I think that's fine. We never really put it in those terms, and that's great. I mean, that's, that's the cool thing. It's like it fits, it fits, it works, and it adds dimension. It makes me, everyone think I'm smarter, but I had no clue. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'll yeah, we'll back. go. Oh, yeah. back? Yeah, Can we see anyone right up? Yep, right up there. Yes, you stand up. I'm wondering, why is it that uh, you make a lot of movies with, like, kind of meet women main characters? Um, and I'm wondering if that's, like, what that means to you and why, what's your interest in that? Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I make uh, all my characters get messed up, men and women alike. Max Cohen drills in his head and Mickey Rourke gets uh, stapled, gunned, and, uh, you know, Natalie Parman gets stabbed with the uh, mirror and jumps off. Um, but for me, it was very much this character of, um, of the film. What I mean, I was trying to portray Mother Nature, which is, like, I find someone with a big heart who's given us all this life and is constantly giving and giving and giving love 
and just wants to be loved back. That was the character. That's how I kind of interpreted the spirit. And um, and then I, I think how it played out was, you know, her trying to figure out what's going on, but really trying to understand and try to kind of decode why this guy wouldn't love her the way she was um, giving him all this stuff. We'll go over here. Yet again. Um, so would you say there was a particular moment that inspired this movie, or was it a culmination of things, or just what kind of made you go, who did it? Was, I, I kind of had the idea for that, to take this big allegory, and I also then connected it to, um, you know, I, I, I immediately saw like an emotional story, but I think the big breakthrough was the structure, um, which was kind of figuring out, trying to use the Bible, which I, I love the stories of the Bible, and I thought it would be a very interesting way to tell the story of people on the planet. And that was kind of the breakthrough. So I don't know if anyone saw in the credits what Javier's character was called. And did you notice how it was spelt? It was capitalized, and it's the only capital in the whole credits. And what else do you capitalize? And so the first man, Ed Harris, who shows up is... And then Michelle, when she shows up, is, and then the boys are, that's right. And then, and then when the sink breaks, that's the, the flood, right? So the whole Old Testament kind of is the structure of it, and then it turns into the New Testament when she's pregnant, and that kind of breakthrough of that idea of kind of sort of telling, using that to tell the story of people, kind of unleashed it, and that was the idea of like telling the story of people on Mother Earth, and making a cautionary tale out of it and then fucking you all up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pardon? What? I just, I love your brain. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> Still figuring out the yellow liquid, though. Shh. Where do you want to go next? Let's go. Yes, you right there. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of great supporting performances in the movie, and some of them, yeah, they're very significant characters, but some are really minor characters, and you have, like, Kirsten Wig coming in towards the end for like a really brief moment. Is there any significance to that casting? Is there any significance to any of the other, like who's a fresh face versus who's a recognizable face? You want to you answer Kristen Wig because he fought for Kristen Wig. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just trying to put great um, talent and great actors um, that can really hold the screen opposite, you know, the people that we have in the movie and leading in the film. But um, to uh, answer we, that, actually, it's interesting because sometimes in a dream, like like Obama shows up or something. <laughs> so it's kind of cool that Kristen Wiig sort of shows up in the middle of this nightmare. Like someone interpreted it that way, like, oh, yeah, you know, every once in a while a weird celebrity shows up in your dream and you're suddenly like, and then you wake up, yeah, I was having sex with so-and-so. I'm sorry, that was me slipping, but anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's. You know, when someone, when a character comes into a film like that and has to make such an impact and hold the screen with Javier Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence, and you know, you look at the list of people that are presented to you, um, you just, you know, you want someone that adds something and that reignites the screen as opposed to just kind of just, you know, shows up and disappears and keeps it flat. I mean, I mean, you know, no disrespect to all the working actors out there in the world, but could you imagine if we just had? you know, an unrecognizable person who you didn't know who with moderate talent or anything like that in that role, you know, would it have 
been as powerful or as strong for you guys. No. You know? And then, uh, you know, and it also has that dream, and then suddenly it takes that weird turn, and you're like, what the hell is Chris Wake doing? <laughs> and that's, uh, it, I think it just added to this kind of circus feel of the whole thing. Yeah, shooting people in the face. Go right up the back here. <laughs> um, hi, so uh, when I first saw this movie, I don't think maybe it's a story about a mother and a writer or any kind of an author, you know, trying to create their works. And then, you know, they just opened up their inner heart to the audience or readers, whatever that is. And some, something sometimes just go, went crazy, that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't understand it, um, as you said, as a metaphor, as a mother nature. So my question is, um, as a director, would you uh, is it kind of um, bother you that sometimes the audience wouldn't understand what you're trying to say? I, mean, I think it's okay that it works on that human level. And I think a lot of people just get that story of this kind of rela relationship, a marriage uh, that's starting to break apart. And that's fine. I don't know how... I, it, it blows my... I, I, I just like when the house starts freaking out and got, you know soldiers are coming through the windows, I don't know how you quite... If you don't w step into the, that, oh, this maybe some other ideas going on here. I'm not sure how you follow it. And I think maybe that's where there's some detachment. And, you know, um, I don't know. Films have become very, very like, uh, you know, in the 70s, they became based in realism. In the 80s and 90s, they got very fantasy-based. But if you get onto Filmstruck. Hey, thank you. And uh, <laughs> I mean, which I love, by the way. You know, you see, like, the dream state uh, is constantly um, a big part of movies. And big influence was Exterminating Angel, which you can watch on Filmstruck. Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, down the center there. Yes, you. Could you talk about the poster and the relation to Rosemary's Baby poster? <laughs> <sighs> Get this a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think it was kind of a red herring type of thing. Um, I, uh, we went through a lot of posters. Um, there is a chance they might actually allow me to release a poster I've always wanted to release this week. So hold on to your, hold on. It's going to be is is pretty crazy. It is. But the poster yeah, I you have uh, to release. Before, it. Yeah, I, know. Geez, I mean, you said it. I'll see if they let me. But the poster I loved was always of her holding the heart. They were like, "Oh, this is cool," and I was like, "Yeah, it's not bad, but it looks like Rosemary's Baby," and you know. I don't know, uh, uh, but then I, I they it, it just was very beautiful, and I thought it was kind of cool because it's somewhere in the genre. It might it might have been a mistake doing that. I, I don't really know. I mean, my son when he saw it, he said, "But that he's 11 years old. He's like, Dad, your whole thing's about originality, and you're biting Rosemary's baby. What are you doing?" <laughs> so you hear that from an 11 year old now. You sir, it just it bums me out. <laughs> we'll go way up the back, right in the center. I was wondering if, because you wrote the whole thing and then you have the, all the structure down, so when you're actually filming it, was there something that you came up with that is like on the set and inspired you to do something else? Yeah, I, this was a weird one. It constantly happened because, uh, you know, Ari was talking about yesterday, I, I would write, uh, and then the riot police come in, you know. And, you know, that's one line, and then suddenly you have to answer, like, 300 questions to get that right. You know, how many, what are they wearing, how are they acting, what do they look like, all 
just tons of stuff. Um, so this film, more than anything, I think, was really built as we moved along. And it was kind of done, it was, it was trying to do things differently you know, than we usually do. And, uh, and just seeing what the results would be. Yeah, I'll go in the center there because you've had your hand up for a while. Yes. Yeah. So it, I went on a roller coaster mm -hmm. of emotion. I mean, and I I'm usually one that can figure things out. Oh, good. And <laughs> this, and, and I also go back to, you know, the early episodes of Twilight Zone. Cool. Things like that. Cool. And I, I, I felt you know, uh, a gamut of issues, you know, so modern day atrocities, you know, you know, um, and, and then there was a scene there where you had women behind, um, what's it called? Chicken wire type Bob of thing. Wire. Yeah. yeah, and that, that really struck me because I remember an old episode of Twilight Zone where there, it, it, there was a house and, as the camera panned back, you know, you saw that this family had won a lottery in this particular episode. Oh, yeah. And then there were, for miles, people just stuck up against this fence where I they couldn't get yeah. in. It, it's pretty amazing. Oh, cool. But the thing is, it was interesting that you had all women behind that. Uh -huh. You know, and I get the, the relationship with the mothers and all that, but. Um, I, my mind is still blown. Oh, good. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's for you. Um, it's actually funny. Can I read my quote? So you guys know who Money Mark is, the guy who used to play with the Beastie Boys? Um, hold on, let me find it. <laughs> Got to put money in. So he, sent me, he came to the screening, uh, and he wrote, this is a Rod Serling quote he just sent me today. And he wrote, the writer's role is to menace the public's conscience. He must have a position, a point of view. He must see the arts as a vehicle of social criticism, and he must focus on the issues of his time. All right, Rod Serling. Yeah. So he is, I, Rod Serling, I mean, uh, like in, um, in eighth grade, I wrote book reports about Rod Serling. So <laughs> that was my, so to hear you that, I'm sure I'll, I've stolen from him my whole life. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, so. Awesome, uh, over here. So my question is about the ending. So you said earlier that this film is the allegory uh, for Mother Nature. It's more of a cautionary tale uh, for us and how we act in our environment. So I wanted to ask um, if you could expand more on your ending and why you decided to choose the cycle of life, why you decided to reincarnate, um, I guess, another... A different woman. Yeah. It's a very good question. Um, I felt like, you know, when we had a lot of conversations, Jen was like, what is that supposed to be, Mars or Venus? Like he went, he goes, God goes off to another planet. And I was like, oh, that's kind of good. Um, but I think that's where the idea that, um, you know, that, that there's this cycle of creation and destruction over and over again. And out of, out of uh, when you create something, sometimes you have to destroy things. And it's like, a, I mean, there's lots of examples in Hinduism and all different types of religions where you hear about um, you know, even, even in nature, you hear about the forest fires and then a whole new thing is created. But it's different, and it's a different shot at it. So the idea was um, leaning into that. I just would also say, not to put words in your mouth, but Always. it's another way of saying, and if you quite, haven't quite gotten it 
yet this is not exactly a world that obeys by our rules. There's something else going on here. That, that loop tells you that. Yeah. Well, thank you for making a film that thank you sparks these conversations. Thank you, thank you guys for coming. All right, thank Darren you guys. Darren Scott, Ari.